You know, I like it when um, I like it when things kind of get get off a little bit. I like when I like when things actually go a little wrong. Sometimes it um, uh, it kind of I believe it, it it keeps you humble. It, it, it reminds you that um, it reminds you that 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 it ain't about you. It re, it reminds you that your purpose of why you're here. So I, I kind of like it when things get a little off, when things get a little unorganized. It reminds us that we're still just human. We're still just flesh. That's what we are. I'm going uh, to sing you one real quick because it goes with one message this morning. And um, then we're going to go to Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Go ahead, Randy. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold I'd rather have him than have riches untold I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands I'd rather be led by your nail pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Amen. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause I'd rather have Jesus than all the world's wide fame I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be the Or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather, I'd rather, rather have you, Jesus, than anything this world affords today. I'd rather have you, Jesus, than anything this world affords, affords today. Oh, yes, I'd rather have you, Jesus, than anything. 
I'd rather have you, Jesus, than anything this world can afford today. Y'all just keep praying, keep doing whatever you need to do. I talked to you last week about um, I remember you. I come from Jeremiah chapter 2. And I talked about how, how God remembers us, the time in our lives whenever we were saved. And He remembers the way that we used to just love Him with everything in us. He remembers the way that, that we used to just desire Him, to know Him, to, to, to know who He is. Who is this God that saves us? Who is this creator of all the universe? Who are you? What are you like? What are your qualities? What, 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 what are you rewarding me with? Why are you rewarding me? Why do you love me? After all you see that I am, who are you? And that is the question that was asked by so many. I remember whenever Moses was going to get God's children from slavery in Egypt, Moses looked at him and he said, Who am I going to tell them you are? Who are you, God? What are you like? Why are you saving us? What reason do you possibly have to deliver us from anything? But we followed him. God said, I remember you, but you're not where you once were. Jeremiah chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 one more time. We're going to go a little further into this. Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. The Word of God reads like this. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord. And this is what the Lord says. I remember you. The kindness of your youth. The love of your betrothal. When you went after me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. You may be seated. I remember you. I remember when you were so young, when you were so little, when, when, when you were just born again. And I remember when you were just a little bitty child of mine. And I remember how you went after me. I remember how you came after me with everything that was in you. I remember how when I saved you, I delivered you out of the slavery of Egypt. I saved you and I brought you out of this thing. And I remember how you followed me into a land that was not sown. I remember how you went after me and how you trusted that I was going to fulfill the promise I'd made to you. Those of you who have any biblical history, you will remember that before Moses delivered the people out of the promised land, God told Moses, I want you to go to my people. And I want you to tell them that I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to bring you out of the land of bondage. And I'm going to bring you to a land that is flowing with milk and honey. This is the promise that I have for you. That was all that was stated. There was never anything spoken to them about a wilderness. They never knew about a test. The only thing they knew is that this God of all creation, this God of their fathers and their fathers' fathers, this God had told them to follow Him out of slavery 
and he will lead them into a promised land that's flowing with milk and honey. And they followed him, even into a wilderness that from the beginning they didn't know was part of the plan. They followed him into this thing, and yes, they complained. But every time they complained, God would meet their provision. They complained, they said, we're hungry. Why have you brought us out here to die? We could have stayed in Egypt. God said, oh no, that's not my plan for you. And he sent them quail, and he sent them, he sent them bread that fell from heaven. But he told them the reason why he sent them into the wilderness was because of a test. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. If you don't get there in time and I start reading, it'll be up on the screen for you, but I encourage you to turn there in your Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3 says this. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness, and here's why, to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. So He humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. He said, I brought you out of slavery. I delivered you. I saved you. But you're not in the promised land yet. I remember when you went after me with everything you had, when even though I did not walk you straight from Egypt, straight into the promised land, even still you went after me. Even though it was wilderness area, you think they didn't know what this land was like out there? They had grew up in this place. You know, the place where I grew up at, I was a big deer hunter and squirrel hunter, and I walked those hills. I knew where every hole was, Nick unless the Lord saw fit to create a new one. I knew where every hole was. I knew where every tree was. I could walk through that land, and I can take you there today, and I can show you exactly every mark of every tree and show you exactly where we are at any point at any time. I waded the creek down at uh, Buckhannon Creek for years from the time I was just a little bitty feller. I was in there wading and fishing. And I can remember that um, the creek would change throughout the years as the floods would come, but I can still take you down there today, even though I ain't been in that creek uh, three or four years now, but I could still take you down there today and I can show you every hole. I can show you every big rock. I can show you every bank. I can tell you where things used to be and I can tell you where they are. I can show you things that are out of place. But it's because that's my land. That's my stomping grounds. That's where I know. These people understood this wilderness. They knew when they followed God out of Egypt that this was a land where no one had dwelt. They knew that this was a place that had never been sown. They knew that there had never been anyone to ever survive in this place. However, they said, God, if this is the way, I'm going to follow you through this. And God says, I led you all this way through these times of hunger, through these sufferings to test you. You said you trusted me. You said you believed me. You said you believed that I saved you from your sin. And now I want to see, do you really believe? So here's a test. 
Here's a wilderness. Here's a 40-year journey for you. Let's see what you really believe. Let's see how genuine you are. The same thing holds true for us today as Christians. He has delivered us out of sin. He has delivered us out of the bondage of Satan. And even still, He has not yet brought us into the promised land. We're on a wilderness journey right here. In a land that the Bible says is a dry and a thirsty land where there is no water. There is no life in this land. There has never been life in this land. And he says, this is a land where no one has dwelt, but even still, you trust me. You said you trusted me. Let's see where we go. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9 to parallel this for just a minute. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. I'm going to take you to a few scriptures this morning, so I pray you just go with me. I like to back up everything I say with the Word of God. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Basically, what's that saying there? He saved us, right? And He saved us, verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven in the promised land for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I'm not done. I'm going to keep going. But I want you to think about this. He says, God, I thank you that you saved me. I thank you that you delivered me out of my sin bondage. I thank you you brought me out of the slavery that I didn't even realize how bad it was. I thank you that you brought me out and the reason you brought me out is because you have a place for me that's undefiled. You have a place for me that is incorruptible. You have a place for me that does not fade away. And this is the promise that I follow you for. I know that if I trust you, you're going to take me out of this land where no one can live and you're going to bring me into the land that never fades away. You're going to take me out of this land that is only fed by manna and only fed by quail, and you're going to bring me into a place that's flowing with milk and honey. It ain't just bread and manna. This thing's got milk. Oh, this thing's got honey. But you know, let me tell you what happens to us. Why God has to look down and say, I remember you. I remember how you went after me. Notice it was past tense. You went after me. You're not currently going after me. You have currently gotten satisfied with uh, the wilderness provisions. You have currently gotten satisfied with the, with the goods of this world. You have currently gotten satisfied with the fact that the job the Lord has provided you with gets you whatever you want. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, but you've quit going after Him, possibly. Possibly you stopped pursuing Him with everything that's in you. And now you've just begun to be satisfied with manna. You've begun to be satisfied with quails. And God is providing all these things. He's given you these blessings. But it is not the promise. 
It is not the place that he said that is your permanent dwelling that does not fade away. He said these are just provisions to get you through the wilderness, to see you in to the promised land, to get you to the other side. But you get so satisfied with these things. I want you to look at um, Exodus 16.35. Tim, if you want to throw that up there, I'm going to go through these real quick. Exodus 16.35. And the children of Israel ate manna for 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. It was only a provision to get them through the wilderness, through the test. That was it. Oh, but they got satisfied with it. They got so satisfied with it that they came to the edge of the promised land and Moses sent out spies to go over and look at this land God has given us. And they come back. And out of the ten spies, I believe it was, out of the ten spies, only two gave a report that was accurate to describe the promised land. Joshua and Caleb, they looked at this land and this is what they had to say about it. Look at um, uh, Numbers chapter 13, 21 through 27, Tim. Read this with me. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zen as far as Rehab near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron, and whatever all those names were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eskel, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and the figs. The place was called the Valley of Eskel because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. Go on to the next one. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 years. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. They didn't name its fruit. They'd never seen this before, Nick. Oh, this was stuff that they had never seen before, and it was still earthly. They looked at the promised land that God gave them, and they said, here's some kind of cluster of, of these uh, round green things and these round um, purple things, and they're full of this wonderful juice. When you bite into it, it's, it ain't like this manna we've been eating in, in, here out, out in the desert. This stuff is not like the, the quail we've been eating. All that quail's good, but this stuff right here, you've got to see this. These figs and these pomegranates. Oh, but they looked over in the land and they said, there's some giants over there. Nick, there's some big boys over there. And we've got to conquer these big boys before we can go into this land. And eight of these spies looked and they said, we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and so we were in their eyes too. But Joshua and Caleb, they looked up, and standing at the edge of this promised land with all this fruit in their hand, they said, God delivered us out of Egypt, and he promised us this land. And you rest assured that our God, who is well able, he will bring us into this land. We will not be as grasshoppers in our own eyes. And they will see in their eyes that we are not grasshoppers. 
all they will see. Because our God will fight for us. Our God will bring us into this land. Our God will take us to the place that He promised us He was going to take us. They were not satisfied with bread and manna. Oh, but many of them were. Many of them, because they did not believe God, they got to the end of the wilderness, and you know what happened to them? They not only went back, they went down. And when I say they went down, what am I saying? They died in the wilderness. You know why? Because they didn't trust God. They didn't believe Him. I got to thinking about what this means for us. And what this means for us when we get satisfied in this wilderness with the bread and the manna and the, and the quail, don't get me wrong. I'd be lying to you if I didn't say there were a lot of things in this world that I enjoy. A whole lot of things. Oh, I love it. But I also know that this manna and this quail in the wilderness that I enjoy, I know it's just a provision. And I know that there's a promise waiting on me that can't even compare to what I see down here. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, and then I'm going to get into my message. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But as it is written... The Word of God says, it is written, that I has not seen. Let me say that again. I has not seen, ear has not heard, and it has never entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Boy, if they were spies that we could send over into heaven right now to say, go look in there and see what he's got for us. Oh, what they would come back with. They'd come back and they say, oh, I know we've got grapes and we've got figs and we've got pomegranates, but look at this cluster. I can't even tell you what it is. I don't even know how to describe this stuff to you. Oh, I wish we could just send some spies over in there to come back and just tell us just a little bit. But you know what? They couldn't explain it to us if they tried. They would say, there's no way I can explain to you what I saw when I went into that land. And we get so satisfied and we just decide to quit going after God. We'll sit down in our wilderness. We'll sit down in our wilderness and we'll cross our legs and sit on our stool. And we'll say, I have it good. My life is great. Boy, everything is exactly the way that it should be. And then a test has to come to get us up off that stool before we finally realize that there is nothing to look forward to in this life but suffering. There's nothing to look forward to in this life but death. This is a life that fades away. This is a life that is corruptible. Oh, but keep on working for it. Oh, we keep on building, don't we? We. We, come on, I'm with you. Oh, we keep on building. Oh, we keep on striving for this life. We keep on making our priority this life. We keep making the wilderness the, our homeland, and this is not the place where He has prepared for us. It's over there. So I want to talk to you this morning about pursuing God. Philippians chapter 4, this is where my message comes from this morning. 
I want to talk to you about a man who went after God. He pursued him through his wilderness. But I want you to remember, the ones in the wilderness of Egypt, the Bible tells us that the Old Testament are our examples, that we read from them to learn that we don't make the same mistakes they did. They were a shadow of everything that we see spiritually today. And let me tell you, there were many who were called out of Egypt, wasn't there? But only few entered the promised land. Many were called, but only a few were chosen. Just a few. The, the ones that did not pursue God all the way into the promised land, the one that did not follow Him in, they died in the wilderness and they did not inherit the kingdom of God. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to get into a debate over what I'm trying to teach here this morning. I'm telling you, you pursue God into the promised land or you die in the wilderness. Your choice. Philippians chapter 4, or chapter 3, I'm sorry. And um, I want to start reading first in, chap in verse 2 to get to my first point. We're talking about a man here named Paul. The Apostle Paul was a man who he was, um, well, you know what, he's fixing to describe himself. Chapter, verse 2. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. And here's why. Paul says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. He said, I was not adopted into this thing. I was not a slave who got brought into this fold. I was circumcised the eighth day because I was of the stock of Israel. I was a purebred is what Paul said. I was a Jew of the Jews. I was a seed of the father Abraham. And he says here that I was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, Concerning my, my ability to go after God, I persecuted the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. Paul said, listen who I was. I was the top dog of God's army. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was the greatest of the zeal of going after God to the point that I even killed Christians because I was all about my God. Paul was so zealous for God that he went after Him in such a way that he made sure that he lined up with every aspect of God's law. He made sure there was no fault in him concerning this. But look what he says next in verse 7. But what things were gained to me he said, if any of these things were gained to me at all, look what he did. I have counted loss for Christ Jesus. The first thing I want you to notice is what is the fact that he says, I have counted, tell you. He's talking in what tense, school teachers? Past tense. He said, I have counted all this loss, 
All this means nothing to me now because I now am pursuing God in Christ Jesus. I'm going after Him with everything I've got. I've still got the same amount of zeal that I've always had, only now it's not in the law. Now it's in Christ Jesus and Him alone. I have counted all things lost for Christ Jesus. Look at verse 8. Yet, indeed, I what? Also count all things lost. The next thing I want you to notice is now he's talking in what tense? Present tense. He says, not only have I counted all things lost, but I, I have not reached a point in my life to where I've decided that I'm just going to be settled in. Not only have I counted all things lost, but I also count all things lost. Even today, today I still count all things lost. And here's why. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have, I have suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the resurrection which is from God by faith. And the next words in verse 10 say this, that I may what? Here's a man who's been following God his whole life, Nick. His whole life he's been following God. But he looks at you and he says, I've counted all things lost for one reason that I'm going to start with, that I may know him. He said, I've went after a knowledge of him. I know basically who he is. I know what God is to me. I know what he's done for me. But I don't yet know him. Right now, I only know in part. Right now, I only prophesy in part. I don't actually know Him. But you know what? I pursue Him. You know why? Because I want to know Him. I go after Him with everything that I am, not because I understand everything about who He is. Is there anybody in here who can explain every aspect of God to me? Is there one that would like to take that on this morning? I will hand this mic over to you. It's yours. Matter of fact, the church is yours from now on if you can explain every aspect of God to me because I will sit under your teaching every day and every hour and every minute to know every aspect of God. I pursue Him that I may know Him. I don't yet know Him, Nick. I know Him as my Savior, but I don't know all there is to know about God. But the Bible does tell me in Corinthians that when I enter into this promised land, he said, I will know even as I'm known. He said, right now I look through a glass. It's like looking into a mirror. It's dimly. I can barely even see my own reflection. However, whenever I come to this place that he has prepared for me, it will be face to face. I will know who he is. So the first thing I want to tell you this morning, you need to get to pursuing God. You need to get to going after Him. And tonight I'm going to talk to you about ways to pursue God. I'm not going there this morning. You need to pursue God, number one, to know Him. To know who this God is. You don't know everything about Him when He brings you out. The only thing the Israelites knew is this is I am. That's what they knew about God. 
This is I am. But as they followed him, they began to realize this is the man who can part seas. As they begin to follow him, they begin to realize this is the man who can rain food down from heaven. As they begin to follow him, then they begin to know that this is the God who can bring water from a rock in a land where there is no water. As they begin to follow him, they begin to know that this is the God that can provide anything that I need. We pursue him to know who he is. All right, look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, Tim, if you want to go there real quick. This is another reason why you pursue him to know him. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Notice the key word it used there, treasures. How many of you, if I told you and you trusted that everything I said was true and that I could not lie, let's say that I told you that there is a million-dollar treasure chest worth of gold buried in under this building. How many of you would go after it? It'd be a mess under there, wouldn't it? Oh, Home Depot would sell out of power tools quick today. Today they would be sold out of power tools. Y'all would be going after this treasure chest because treasure, oh, everybody wants to find the treasure. But the Bible tells me that the treasures are all hidden in the wisdom and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's where all the treasures are hidden. You want to find treasure? You've got to go after him. You've got to pursue him. There's a song that the youth uh, uh, play a lot. Uh, it's called Go Hard. Go hard or go home. You go hard after God or go home. He said, pursue me with everything that is in you. He said, those who seek me shall find me. Look at Romans 11, verse 33 through 35, Tim. Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Oh, the depth of it, the depth of this wisdom, the depth of the knowledge, it is so rich. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of our Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid? <laughs> is, is, is that possible? Who has known him? We haven't yet. We have not yet known him, but he says, you keep going after me. You keep pursuing me. I will show you who I am, but you've got to pass the test. You've got to come to the edge of the promised land and not just be satisfied with where you're at. You've got to trust that there is a place prepared for me that does not fade away. You've got you to be able to prove to God that you do not put your trust in this world. Your trust is in Him. And when you do that, He will show you who He is. He will reveal Himself to you. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you the, the sad news to me. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few choose to trust Him. Few choose to turn loose of the wilderness to follow him into the promised land. The second reason why you pursue him comes from verses 10 and 11 of Philippians, 4, Philippians 3, verses 10 through 11. 
I'm going to speed these up. He says here, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Notice he said, I'm, I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I don't know it yet. I know of it. I believe in it, but I have not yet experienced it. He says that I may know Him, I pursue Him, that I may know the power of His resurrection. I pursue Him that I may know the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means, what's the next two words? I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You pursue Him, my second reason, that you will be found in Him. He says here that I am not there yet. But look at um, Philippians 3 verse 9. Philippians 3 verse 9. And be found in Him. He said the reason I go hard after God, the reason that I am trying to find everything I can about who this God is, is so that I will be found in Him when He comes back. I just wonder... If he came back today, I wonder how many of us could say, I would be found in him, not be found hanging around him. If he came back today, I'd be found in him. I know when I look at my life, there's no question I'm in him. There's no question the decisions I make, the things I do, there's no question that I have decided to follow Jesus. Even though none go with me, you know what I do? Still, I will pursue Him. Still, I will follow. And if He were to come back today, then I will be found in Him. No question. I will not be found in the world. I'll be found in Him. So he says, the reason why I keep pursuing through the wilderness, the reason why I have not stopped my pursuit of God is because I will be found in Him. When He comes, I will know Him and He will know me. My true colors will shine bright. He will know exactly who I am. He'll have no trouble recognizing me. Many quit the pursuit. Many turn back to Egypt. Look at 2 Peter 2, 20-22. This is what it says. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, let me rephrase that. Basically, here's what he's saying. If you have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge, not through actually knowing everything about Him, just through the knowledge of who He is, through the knowledge of what He has promised, through the knowledge of what He can do, if after I have escaped the, the pollutions of the world through this knowledge, if they are again entangled in them, and what? Overcome. If they are again entangled in them and overcome, key word there, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning, for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb. And listen what he says. A dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. It's happened. I want to tell you a story about my dog eating his own vomit, but I'm not going to go there. <coughs> Y'all got to go eat dinner here in a little bit, so I'm not going there. But, you know, honestly, 
Ha have you ever seen that happen? Have you ever seen a dog turn around and do that? Uh, let me just put that in your head. Baby, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm getting off of it. My wife gets on to me when I go there. But that's the truth. A dog will turn around. <laughs> Baby, let me preach. <clears throat> that's nasty, ain't it? That's nasty. But that is, that, that is not even the best description of how dirty it is to God when He sees us turn from what He has brought us out of and we turn around and we dabble in it again. That's right. He said many people, <laughs> he said many people have pursued Him and they went after Him. But somewhere along the way, they looked back and their vomit looked better to them than the promised land that God had prepared. So, so what did they do? They turned around and they, they ate it up. Hey, I got my point across this morning, didn't I? You continue to pursue God that you may know Him, that you will be found in Him. Don't turn back to the things of this world. They are vomit. That's what they are. Keep going after Him. Forsake this wilderness and trust in Him. My third point, being real quick, comes from verse 12. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. He says, I pursue that because I have not attained it yet. He said, I want to be like Christ, but I'm not there yet, Ronnie. So I go after Him. You know, if I am sick, well, who do I go after? A doctor. If I'm sick, I want to find the doctor that can help me. I don't want the doctor that can't help me. He can stay at the house. If I'm sick, I want the doctor that can help me, and I'm going to get him. If I am failing my, my classes in school, then I pursue a tutor, but a tutor that can teach me, a tutor that can give me what I need. So I go after them. I pursue them. He says you don't stop pursuing God just because you've been brought out of Egypt. Just because you've been delivered from your sins, you don't stop pursuing Him. You have not yet attained you are not yet perfected. You are still imperfect to some degree. Now, when God looks at you, He sees perfection because all He sees is the blood of Christ. But your job is to become more and more like Him on a daily basis. So you go after Him. You want to know more about who He is. You want to know His ways. You want to follow Him. You pursue Him because you have not yet attained. Not to pursue Christ means you don't understand your need for, for perfection. Number four, this is my last point, verse 12 again. Pursue Christ because he pursued you. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. I don't go backward. I keep going forward. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. He said, the reason I pursue him is because he pursued me. He looked down from his righteous, holy, already in the promised land, already beside the Father, 
And he looked down in this wilderness, he looked down in this wretched land, and he saw me, a sinner, a wretch, a worthless that even my good deeds looked like filthy rags in his eyes. And he said, God, I'm going after him. I want him. I want her. I want her. I want him. I want him. And I want her. And I want him. And I want her. I want him. And I want him. And I want him. They're worthless. Oh, I know they're worthless, God. I know they're, they're useless. I know they're going to turn on me. I know they're going to fall back into a lot of old ways. I know that they're going to eat their vomit. I know that, God. I know that. But I want them, God. I want them. And he pursued us. And he left his righteous place and he came down. And he got wretched people. And he delivered us. So I pursue him because he pursued me. Look at Luke 19, verse 10. Tim, if you can give me that real quick. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. I don't think I gave that one to you. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I came for one reason, to get you. That's why I'm here. I'm here this morning to get you. You want to go? Get on board. Come on. Let's go. You want to stay? You can stay. But I'm telling you, it's a dry, it's a thirsty land. I'm telling you that this bread and this manna and this quail, it's going to get old. I'm telling you this water from this rock, you're going to thirst again. Oh, but I got a place if you want to get on board. I got a place that's just for you. I got a place that is incorruptible. I got a place that's undefiled. I got a place where there's no sorrow, there's no death, and there's, there's no hurting. I've got a place if you want to get on board. It's for you. But you've got to get out of this wilderness and you've got to trust me. You've got to trust what I have prepared for you. Got just a few questions to ask you, and I'm done. What have you counted loss that you may know Christ? That's only that's a question you have to ask yourself. What have you counted loss that you may know Christ? What have you had to give up that you may know Him? What have you had to quit going after that you could go after Him? What can you look at God and say, God, I have gave loss to all these things I thought were gained to me to know you. I've, I've counted all things lost so that I can attain to who you are. I pursue you to become more like you. I have counted all these things lost because I trust in the promise that you have for me in this land. I, I, I pursue you and I have counted these things lost because they hinder me from getting to where you are. What have you counted loss so that you may know him? Are you the one that God looks at this morning and he says, I remember you, how you went after me, how you used to go after me. And you know what? I'm still here and you still have chance if you want to come after me again. The invitation is open to you this morning. Surely come. Do you know him, or do you have at least a knowledge of him? Do you, are you able to say that I have counted all things lost so that I may pursue him? 
Or are you one that has to say, I've quit pursuing, but I'm going to start again. I'm going after him. I may not keep going, but if I get down again, I know he's going to get me. I know he's going to try to get me again, and I'll get back up and I'll go after him again. But today's the day that, that I'm not going after him, but I'm going to make a decision to start today. Question's up to you. If you would stand, the invitation's open for whatever you may need.